You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Welcome to the Horizons Church Podcast, a uh, conversation about faith and life from the perspective of Josiah and Ethan. <laughs> yeah, that's wordy. <laughs> it I almost lot. lifted that word for word um, from another podcast I listened to. No way. Yeah, no. just for fun. I could have been like, uh, you know, welcome to the Horizons Church Podcast, uh, where uh, two best pals talk about their favorite things in the whole wide world. That's also totally written wow, it off. Look at but that. it's funny because it's it's actually, there's a, several points of comparison. <laughs> Uh, happy to be here, though. Happy to be back. Yeah. Back into some weird waters. Yeah, we are, we're doing that. Yes. Into the esoteric sphere. Mm, this is my favorite sphere things. of all spheres. Yeah, it is. You know, and I just was thinking now, when we come back, this is the last episode before our Advent companion podcasts yes. start. Yes. Which are going to go along with our Advent devotional, so that's going to be fun. But I was just thinking, in addition to this kind of esoteric weirdness, that when we come back after Advent, you know, we could also probably have a discussion about the weirdness in, like, the book of Jude, where Satan and Michael fight over the body of Moses. Top five moments for me. Weird yeah. stuff, man. Truly top five. Like, not stuff that is essential to the faith. No. But it's but it's hey. in the Bible. Like, it's in, it is in the Word of God. Yeah, I mean, if you're annoyed, hey, we could... We could be doing genealogy. <laughs> so let's not let's not. Abraham be... had Isaac. <laughs> Isaac he had Jacob. See, this is what you've done. Listeners. Jacob he had Judah and his kin. I'm gonna sing it. I'm glad I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, so yes, today we're continuing as promised in last week's episode. Mm. On to a strange passage. Yes. About the same time every year, as a matter of fact, I read through this perplexing, puzzling, fairly maddening passage in First Peter. You almost had the... Uh, Alliteration. The whole way. I did. I actually stopped on purpose because I was like, it's, it's, okay. too, it's too Baptist it's too for cheesy. me. It's and I, too... I drew attention to... Continue. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but about the same time every year, I stop and I read through this passage over and over and over again because I don't spend most of my time thinking about it. And then I read it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is in the Bible. Yeah. And I get stuck. Like my morning devotions are they're done for the day when I read this passage because I'm just I'm stuck there. And I've been doing this for at least five years now. <laughs> I mean, for as long as I've been using the discipleship journal Bible reading plan, which it takes me through first Peter and second Peter about this oh, time. OK, that every year it takes me through the Catholic general epistles about this time, which is, of course, not to mention the other times before this, when I would read through First Peter, which I've done several times before this. So the point being, I come across this passage and been reading it for years, still have almost no idea what it really means. <laughs> like, I mean, I have some thoughts. I think they're grounded. Okay. And I'm not like the only one who has them. Like, right. it's not like I'm out here in Looney Tune land saying, well, I have a secret Gnostic interpretation of this passage and I really know and no one else does. Exactly. Let me read the passage for us. Okay. It's First Peter 3, 18 through 20. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So far, so good. Yeah. That's normal. Okay. Nothing, nothing you wouldn't hear on a Sunday morning there. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. I mean, that's getting a little, little esoteric, but not like crazy, you know, like just, oh yeah, he, you know, his body died, but you know, the spirit brought him to life. Right. Like right. That. Okay. You know, it's fine. Yeah. But then here's this. In which, that is in the spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Okay. Well, I'm thoroughly lost now. Like, read that, you know, 
I'm done. I'm confused. I mean, I was taking a nice stroll in the forest, and you took me out of the forest. I was walking the trail just fine, Peter. And then you just, you, you did a Holy Spirit kick, and you just flung me right off there. Now I'm, I'm lost. I don't, I don't know where I am. Like, what's mm. going on, you know? And as it turns out, I'm not the only one. See, here's the thing, right? Yes. I, before we get to that, before we get to the, the great minds that, are, <laughs> that share your confusion— <laughs> I must be missing something because I, I feel like I, I kind of get it. And if I kind of get it, when much more like learned scholars do not, I, I must be not getting it. <laughs> um, but so can I take a crack at how what this makes me kind of? Yes, so this please. I welcome it. I'm ready. Very, it's really got to emphasize a very like layman's interpretation assessment, you might say. Zero, re- absolute zero research, zero background knowledge. My college courses were in tactile arts which hey, you know the church did a lot of those that's true but you know? it doesn't help me here <laughs> so so here's my take right so christ suffered and died died in the flesh live in the spirit to me <laughs> that that last part feels kind of really like a poetic description of being sacrificed as a human and coming into his own like fulfilling his divine purpose okay. and what he was yeah. meant to do um <laughs> and then we hit verse 19 where we learn he proclaimed the gospel question mark to the spirits in prison prison to me, suggesting that it's the other side of the chasm of Sheol that we talked about, mm-hmm. um, since it then immediately, quote unquote, massive air quotes, clarifies that they do not obey in the days of Noah, which I take as the large swath of time characterized by imperfect sacrifices. I know maybe I've got some stuff mixed up here. Look, I said layman. <laughs> so why he dressed them, I don't know. Uh, and I don't know what that implies about salvation or damnation for that matter. But that's kind of what I picture when I hear that excerpt. Is there any part of that that's on track with what scholars believe? Yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like 10%? <Crazy>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's the thing. There are so many different views on what this passage means. Okay. It's crazy. I mean... <laughs> so it's pretty safe for me to do I, in this podcast, we're going to look at the three most common. Okay. But there are some zany ones out Ooh. there. I mean, not, that ones that not many people hold. And right. Like, you, like, you... <laughs> When I say you got to stretch it a little, I mean, you're really kind of stretching it. Kind of baseless. Yeah. Okay. But all that to say, just so we understand what waters we're wading into here. <laughs> okay. Here's what some of the most prominent theologians and scholars in church history have said about this passage. <laughs> okay. Hit me. Here's Charles Spurgeon commenting on this passage. This passage, nobody understands, though some think they do. <laughs> okay. It is for our good to be made to feel that we do not know everything. You that's know all what? he said about it. That was it. He's just like, yep. That's it. Endless respect. Yeah. I shouldn't say that's all he said about it. That's what he wrote in his <laughs> his commentary on First Peter. That's what he wrote on that right. verse. Martin Luther, of 95 Theses fame, Protestant Reformation, <laughs> said, A wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. <laughs> It's a lot of superlative you know, comparison there. It, just, it is. The weirdest. <laughs> Don't know what it means, but boy, so, is it, So wonderful. It's wonderful. <laughs> yes. And then the eminent theologian Augustine, oh. or Augustine, oh. depending on how you say it. He's a little more wordy. He got a question from a fellow, I think it was a bishop, a clergyman. One of those guys wrote him about this verse, okay. this passage, and asked, what do you think it means? And here's what he wrote back. The question which you have proposed to me from the epistle of the apostle Peter is one which, as I think you are aware is one to perplex me most seriously. <laughs> I therefore refer this question back to yourself. Oh! <laughs> that if either you yourself be able, or you can find any other person who is able to do so, you may remove and terminate my perplexities on the subject. Whoa, that's a power move. That is. That's, oh, he knew that, what he was doing. That's the original no you. Yeah, it is. That was it. <laughs> like, 
Hey, answer this question, Augustine. No, no you. you. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so that's three church wow. heavy hitters right there who basically say, not 100% sure what this passage means. Just like, not sure. Don't really know. Now, they each at one point or another tried to explain the text as best they could. But as we mentioned in our previous podcast on Christ descent to hell, yeah. They weren't dogmatic about this. Okay. That's none of them that I read. Kind of reassuring. Um, none of the scholars I read. I, I got a little obsessed <laughs> this go around, like this year when I read it. I was like, I'm like, I'm just really going to get into it. Yeah. Um, which is kind of dangerous sometimes. <laughs> um, I just, I have uh, Logos Bible software, which is the most thorough Bible software you can own, probably. Not a, not a sponsor. Um, not a sponsor. Mail. I'd go for a Logos sponsorship. You get Logos. Neither here nor there. get Quip. That's it. Right, yeah. yeah, that's it. But I have oodles of books and commentaries, scholarly works on this, not to mention the stuff I had in my office. Yeah. I was like, hey, you know, people got to be saying stuff about this. I mean, there are there are hundreds, if not thousands of pages <laughs> just written on this, this wow. passage. And I mean, I was really, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to get into this. And I just was Oh, wow. reading and reading and reading. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> Apparently so. What people, I just, it's crazy. That's all. So anyway, all that to say is I do have a view on this, an interpretation that is shared by scholars, which is not to say I came up with it or like, look at me. I was like, but I'm not dogmatic about it. Like I'm going to share mine. I'm going to share a couple views. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, it's just. <sighs> choose your own adventure. <laughs> That's it. That's um, the what, worst advice ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, choose your own interpretive adventure <laughs> in the Bible. <laughs> what I really want to get at before we actually start talking about it is I think this passage actually presents us a lesson in humility as we think through difficult texts. Uh, okay. um, and it also does potentially shed a little more light on last week's podcast. M- well, that kind of, of much in the way of what Spurgeon said. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do think it's fair to begin with the acknowledgement that this is a difficult text. There are some passages of scripture that require more thought and prayer and study than others. That's just the reality. In fact, ironically, I think, Peter himself later wrote in his second letter, there are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And what I find humorous about Peter saying that about Paul is that Peter wrote one of the most hard to understand passages in the whole Bible. Wow. What a guy. But I digress. <laughs> I just think that's funny. So when we come to a passage that is this difficult, what we should first do is we should ponder it, chew on it, pray over it, diligently study. Mm. But we can't get stuck there. I would not recommend most people do what I did. Like, <laughs> just probably. I mean, there are cases where you might want to do that. But in general, don't spend your eight-hour work day <laughs> just, just reading on something that obscure and weird, unless maybe you're going to teach on it or something in that case, you know, yeah, do some research. But Mm. when it comes to like you're reading the Bible devotionally, you're reading to be nourished by the promises of God, convicted of sin, you can't get stuck on something like this. So when you come to a difficult passage like this, what we ought to do is we ought to see if we can find a general truth in the passage that we can understand. For example, in this passage, what we clearly see is that Jesus died to save us from sin and judgment and to bring us to God. And just as he preserved Noah and his family in a world gone to hell, he'll also preserve us. Like, we see that in the passage. Well, now I do. (laughs) Because that's probably not my first takeaway, but that is a far more clearly heartening take that I think would not have been my knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, and I mean, I think part of the reason for that, and maybe clarify this for me from where you're coming from on this, but like when I read a passage like that, I wouldn't jump to that kind of a thing right away because I get lost in the weirdness of the passage. That's I'm like, oh, I I need to find out what the spirits in prison like what prison are we talking about what spirits are they human spirits are they angelic spirits what is he proclaiming is it the gospel is it something else i what is it what's happening so we won't have time 
to get into all the scholarly <laughs> arguments and interpretive possibilities of this passage because we just, just don't have time, you know? It's just not yeah. an option for us here. Thousands of pages, 20 minutes Yeah, it's like, whoa, there are probably some people that are listening like, well, then why even bother with it at all? Like, <laughs> you can't do it justice. Hey, like, you know, like we you said, gotta start somewhere. We're starting the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Starting the conversation. So, we do want to briefly explore what's meant by Christ going in the Spirit and proclaiming, what is he proclaiming yeah. to the spirits? You know, what spirits? Who are the spirits? And in prison. And like, where is this? When? What? Mm. Huh? Mm-hmm. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Like, what's, what's going on? Yeah. You know, it's just that's a lot also, of weirdness. It's also a very specific timestamp. Yeah. So like I said, there are multiple views on what this passage could mean. And another note here on the actual text of the passage, depending on what, what translation you read, this passage reads a lot differently. That's because Peter, uh, his grammar stinks, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> his Greek is terrible. Oh my gosh. Poor guy. Oh, he can't write. That boy, mm. I mean, fishermen, just stick, you know. Stick to fishing. Yeah. And doing except, you what know. the Lord does through you yeah. in a divinely inspired work. Of yeah, except that. Okay. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, divinely inspired. So, you know, but like the Greek text is a little, if you read like the ESV, it kind of preserves the vagueness of the translation. Oh. The vagueness of the Greek, I should say. And if you read the NIV, I was, because, you know, you read through multiple translations and the NIV makes some like interpretive decisions about their translation. Yeah. Which again, I don't have time to get into all this there, but if you read them, you'll see what I mean. So here are the three most commonly held views of this passage. And I'm taking these from the words of theologian Wayne Grudem. View number one, when Noah was building the ark, Christ in spirit was in Noah preaching repentance and righteousness to unbelievers who were on the earth in the days of Noah, but are now spirits in prison. I don't, I, People don't, in love, hell. I don't love that one. Feels a little time travel-y to me. A little time travel mm-hmm. But hey, it's a view. It's in yeah. the top three. So it is a view. Say? Yeah. View number two, after Christ died, he went and preached to people in hell, proclaiming to them that he had triumphed over them and their condemnation was final. I got about 50% crossover with that. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. more. Yeah. That's, you know what? I am biased now. <laughs> and then view three, after Christ died or after he rose, but before he ascended into heaven, if you're going to get really, really scholarly and temporal about it, he traveled to hell and proclaimed triumph over the fallen angels who had sinned by marrying human women before the flood. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it doesn't actually say anything about the spirits in prison. I just assumed it meant human yeah, spirits, but, but it, it doesn't say that at all. And, and now that you mention it, we we do have that one really obscure bit of scripture that references a person or persons, or more specifically angels, <laughs> cast in chains. Yeah. That's and, very interesting. That, that I mean, that feels like some serious connective tissue. Yeah. And again, it depends on which scholar you read, but- the word that's translated spirits here, pneumas, I think it's in the pneumata. I'm trying to remember what the exact plural lemma of that is. But point being, it is almost always in that context used to refer to angelic spirits, not human. That is fascinating. Now, of course, a uh, scholar like Wayne Grudem actually was like, well, but if we look at the, like he comes around to it, he holds view one. Oh, um, really? Wow. Yes, Wayne okay. Grudem does. That Christ was preaching in spirit through Noah. So does Augustine, by the way. That was the view he held. Oh, he finally wow. got to his long explanation. <laughs> Who am I to say? That's <laughs> So here's the thing. I'm going to tell you right up front. With the biases and interpretive convictions I hold, because here's the other thing. Here's a fun note. We all have them. You can't approach the scriptures like 100% unbiased. You've been formed by... The lens through which you view all the reality around you is incredibly biased. It is. Which, here's the thing. I think we want to think of that, or at least it's been presented to us in many contexts as a bad thing. Like, not always. It it just is. Yeah. It's just a reality you have to live with. None of us come to anything with a blank slate. Exactly. So, with that being said, I personally lean toward view three, that this particular 
particular passage is talking about Christ's proclamation of triumph over the fallen angels who sinned by marrying human women before the flood. Mm. And let me briefly explain why I think that's the case. I textually find it unlikely that Peter would have used the word spirits to describe human spirits as opposed to angelic ones, especially since he describes Noah and his family as eight persons. In In that same bit. Yeah, in that same bit. I think there are good textual reasons for that, including that the spirits, when that word is often used in the context that it's used as referring to angelic spirits more often. So, not outside, again, not outside the realm of possibility that he means human spirits. I just don't think that's the most likely Mm. view. Now, here's the other thing. The whole Noah narrative, which he's clearly gone back to, obviously, because he's mentioning it by name, that whole narrative is kicked off in Genesis 6 by the events where the sons of God, which, again, you have debates about what is meant by that, but this is all kicked off by the events where the son of God, the sons of God, marry the daughters of Adam, which you can take to mean angelic beings marrying human women and producing these weird... Nephilim. Yeah. So, that's a pretty clear callback that makes us think about that. Along with the fact that in 2 Peter 2 and Jude 1.6, it's mentioned that God consigned the angels who did not remain in their proper station to chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Oh, yeah. That's what I was thinking of in Jude. Yeah. Sounds a lot like a prison to me, right? I mean, and the fact that Peter is again writing about that, like there's some connective tissue in the uh, Petrine epistles there. Another fun fact, by the way, in 2 Peter... Peter mentions Noah and the flood immediately following those remarks on the fallen angels. Really? Yeah. Like, which is even more connective to me. Like, he's just, he seems to be linking those. That's interesting. Again and again. And then, of course, here at the end of 1 Peter 3, Peter says that all angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to Christ, which is another link for me. This is a recurring theme. Yeah. And so, all of this, in my mind, as I'm reading through the scriptures and I'm thinking through this particular passage, leads me to believe that... What Peter is describing here is we have this event where the height of angelic sin and rebellion is this perversion of God's mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And they produce these, you know, pseudo angel human Nephilim like weird beings. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, whatever they, yeah. So you have that and then Christ goes and proclaims his triumph over them. And Hmm. because, I mean, it seems to be they were the ones who were cast into those chains into the abyss. And so he proclaims his triumph over them. And thus, when he does that, he's proclaiming his triumph over all fallen angels, over all powers and principalities and angels, as Peter says there at the end of 1 Peter 3. Because here's the other thing, right? There is that weird moment, you remember in the Gospels, where the demon-possessed man comes to Jesus and says, the demons, hey, rather, don't throw us into the abyss. Yes. There were, and as is said in Peter and Jude, angels who had been cast in chains of gloomy darkness to be held until the judgment. And apparently the other demons knew about this because that demon says, he said, don't throw me into the abyss. Like Like apparently he knows this is a place that demons have gone. It's like the stuff of legend. Yeah. And I don't want to go there. Yeah. And like, instead, can you cast me into those pigs? And Christ's (laughs) like, okay, yeah, like I'll do that. Which again, I think even that little reference leads me to believe, okay, yeah, there were this like extra, I hesitate like, how to articulate it, but there was a group of angels that were even more rebellious and they did this abominable thing and God was like, that's the end of the road. Not only are you going to be cast into this place of gloomy darkness for judgment as angels, but then I'm going to wipe out the world with a flood to just rid the world of what you've done. Um, this I just thought of this when you were describing it as this kind of like very known entity mm-hmm. within the spiritual realm. It's like oh, the most analogous thing I can think of is Tartarus in yeah. Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. It's like, it is the prison of prisons, yeah. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Yeah. Wow. Which again is like that whole, you know, all oh, these mythologies are all just born. It's like, no, maybe all the mythologies are echoes of the real 
looking at the you, Tolkien. True. Yeah, no, Tolkien was the master of that. And you're just like, yeah, you guys, come on. What if it's um, the true man? Yes, exactly. So yeah, I hold to View 3 personally. That, I, I love View 3. Yeah. I'm still biased to View 2 because I was really close to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, and here's the thing, right? I hold to View 2 in that I think Christ did that. I just don't think that's what this passage is describing. Oh, yeah, point, yeah. And here's the thing, okay? As I've mentioned countless times at the, this point in the podcast, there is so much technical scholarly work behind this interpretation and the other interpretations. M- men so much smarter than I and men who have written thousands of pages of material on this. <laughs> um so all that to say, you know, if you're like, that's dumb, Josiah, like you must be some idiot. It's clearly view one. Like <laughs> Augustine was Augustine right. Augustine thought view one. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Like that's, I could be convinced of that on the right day. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. So all that to say, you know, if there's anyone listening out there who genuinely wants to talk about this more just for fun, I'm not out to like, I'm not going to get into a heated argument about this because honestly, you're not out here denying the divinity of Christ or something. This is again, not a central tenet mm, of the faith. Of course. But it is, it's in the Bible. It's very interesting. It's the word of God. So it is in, you know, it is something that matters. So if we want to talk about it, you know, we can sit and have coffee or I can type you out a lengthy email. I mean, lengthy, <laughs> like I'll, I'll include the Greek footnotes and, you know, like all this stuff. But like I said, I don't hold this view with a strong sense of conviction. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna die on the hill for this. Yeah. Each view has significant strengths and significant weaknesses and significant questions that we just can't fully answer. Oh, like for, for real. no one can really fully answer what Christ was proclaiming. Like what, what exactly why? Yeah, yeah. There are some questions you just can't answer. I guess technically, if you hold to view one, you could say, Oh, he was proclaiming righteousness and repentance through Noah. That's what he was proclaiming. Okay, but, yeah, that has kind of a why to but it. Again, but again, that view has weaknesses. So all that to say, if you think that there's not material in the scriptures that isn't like full of this kind of, I don't want to use esoteric as like a bad word, but I mean, esoteric wonder. I mean, mm-hmm. like these things are like, that's crazy. Yeah. And like, this is actually in the Bible. Again, like our boy Jude writing, you know, Michael and Satan fighting out with the body mm-hmm. of Moses. Like what? Why? Like mm-hmm. what? Apparently. What? It's in some way still a useful for teaching yeah, I mean, it's and like, reproof. Yeah. Oh, my boy pulling yeah. out the apostle Paul there. Yeah, just for that. you. Yeah. <laughs> So, all this to say, I'll I'll end this discussion by echoing my friend Spurgeon. It's for our good that we be made to feel that we don't know everything. Wow. Yeah. What? Nate, that. A roller coaster this has been. Mm, truly. I, I, yeah. It's my favorite one. Yeah. So good. So good. Well, if you have any questions about this or you do want to talk more about it, you can shoot us an email, mm-hmm. podcast at horizonschurch.net. Find us on social media. Yes. If you were helped by this discussion or you found your your heart uplifted with a sense of wonder, you can leave us an honest five-star review on the oh, iTunes store. We would so appreciate it. Yeah. It's only kind of honest. It's the only kind of five. That's it. Oh, thank <laughs> you so much. Yes. And next week kicks off our Advent podcasts, our Advent companion pieces. Ooh, so go with our exci- devotional. So, so excited. For both, for all of it. Yes. Well, a lot of yeah. work, and I think it's been worth it. Yeah. Hopefully, they will increase your sense of wonder this Advent mm, and yes. will be a helpful tool to you. So we look forward to sharing those with you. And this will be it then for a while. So see you in a while. Yeah. We'll see you guys. We'll see you guys back here at the end of Advent. Yes. And uh, we'll catch you then. Mm.